Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, which can be found on page 683 of your pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Praise the Lord. It's great to be back with you today. Um, We're going to continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at the section that we've just read, and they call it the Beatitudes. Now, we don't use that word very often in common speech. I don't really really even know what it means. I know that one author says it's the Be Happy Attitudes, but I think another way of just thinking about it is it's the section of Scripture that shows us all the blessings that we have in Christ. And before we take a look at many of those blessings and talk about how these blessings relate to our own lives. I'd like to begin my sermon with an introduction, but I need a volunteer. Uh, Any engineers amongst us, anybody know how to put things together? I need some help. This is something I got in the mail. And somebody come up. I need some help. Okay. Any, there's only two parts to it. It's not rocket science. um, I need some help. Somebody want to come up and help me with my opening illustration? You're all wondering what's in here and what will happen if you don't set it up properly. I'll fix it for you. Come on up. Anybody want to help me? Come on up. See if you can figure figure out what this thing is and how it goes together. Be careful. You don't want it to fall out of the bag. I'll take the bag. He's reading the bag. Reading the instructions is a very good place to start. (laughs) Ah, sweet. Now, can can you put that thing on for us? Take your glasses off first. I'll hold your glasses. Be careful. You've got to hold this. All right. Now, turn around and look at everyone. But what is this, brothers and sisters? What is this? It's a snorkel. It's the new kind of snorkel. And I just got it. And <clears throat> thank you. 
this is my pride and joy. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to wear it while I preach, but I do want to share with you a little bit. We have lived over the past 25 years in Taiwan for a lot of that time. We lived in mainland China for one year. Uh, we lived in Hong Kong for one year, but we lived five years in Indonesia. And I must admit that when it comes to vacation spots, Indonesia was my favorite place to go. It has about four of the top ten snorkeling and diving places in the world. And when we lived there, I couldn't wait for the weekends to go on my next snorkeling adventure. <clears throat> my favorite spots, first spot, was this little island in between Bali and Lombok called the Gili Islands. And I loved it because there's no cars, no motorized form of transportation. You have horses with buggies that take you where you need to go. And then my next favorite spot was Monado. Now, Monado is interesting because it's got 500 plus varieties of coral. And it's one of the one of the best diving spots and snorkeling spots in the world. And then my other place that I loved was Raja Ampat, which is the number one snorkeling and diving place in the world. But I probably won't go back there because it was rather difficult to get there. A little bit dangerous. You have to go through headhunter country in order to get there. And I'm serious. I'm not joking. So <clears throat> I enjoyed going on these excursions because even though I went to all these places, Multiple times, with the exception of Raja Ampat, every time I went, I saw something different. And last summer, on my last trip to Monado, I'll never forget what happened when I jumped in the water. I jumped in the water, I looked in, and I saw fish like I had never seen before in my life, and I started crying. Now, I don't know if you've ever cried in a snorkel, but it's not pretty. Um, the, the mask, uh, it... it fogs up and then you can't see, you can't breathe and you're stuck there. And I just couldn't stop crying because of the beauty of what I saw in God's creation. Well, brothers and sisters, much as I would like to take you on a snorkeling trip today with me <clears throat> to Indonesia, to Manado, Raja Ampat, I'm not going to take you there. I'm going to take you to a different place, a beautiful place, a place where I've been many times, you've been many times, we've been many times over the summer, the Sermon on the Mount, to see things that maybe we haven't seen before, that when we see, we will say, God, you are awesome. God, you are marvelous. And we will be overwhelmed with the greatness and the glory of our Savior God. So we're going to take a look at the Beatitudes. Now, please, if you don't have a Bible, then I'm sure you have a cell phone and you can download the passage on your, your cell phone. But I want you to look carefully. We're going to look at from verses 3 <clears throat> through verses 12 together. And the first thing I want you to see is that there's a pattern in all these blessings. And the pattern is different from all the other patterns of blessing in the Scripture. In fact, there is only one other verse in the entire Bible that mimics the same pattern that we have in the Beatitudes. Now, take a look closely of how each one of these Beatitudes happen. You have a blessing. Do you see that? Blessed. Then Jesus will talk about a characteristic or a condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when men cast all kinds of in, say all kinds of insults. Against you. So you have a blessing, then you have a condition that says, if you are this, 
you're blessed. Or when you are this, you are blessed. Or because you are this, you are blessed. And then what do we have at the end of each one of these beatitudes? First, we have a blessing. Then we have a condition. What do we have at the end? Take a look at it. What do we have? What's, how would you describe the last part of each one of the Beatitudes? What is it? A reward. And each one of the rewards is framed by the word for. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you see how that pattern functions all through here. Now, I'm going to ask you a $64,000 question. Um, where is the blessing? Is it in the situation which comes in the middle or is it in the in the reward that comes at the end? Where is the blessing? Is it in the situation or the condition in the middle or is it in the end in the reward? Now, take a moment to think and then we're going to take a, an opinion poll. We're going to vote on it. All right. So think about it. Is it in the condition or is it in the reward? I spent all week thinking about this question and only last night figured it out. Okay, if you think that the blessing is in the condition, then raise your hand. Okay, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, if you think it's in the reward, raise your hand. Okay, if you didn't vote, raise your hand. Okay, now I want to talk to all of you who didn't vote. Why didn't you vote? Because I committed the either or fallacy of logic. It's not either or, it's both and. Okay, so the the blessing happens not only because of the condition, but also because of the reward. And this is the only place in Scripture, with the exception of one verse that I might share later in the message, where we have this pattern. Let me give you a few examples to help you understand how we should think about this. When you have this, you get that. Let's just talk about <clears throat> the, the condition and then what you get as a result. When you are married, you get what? What? Uh, okay. When you're married, you get a ring. Not everybody gets a ring. When you're married, you get? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes? Uh, tax break. When the babies come, okay? So, when you get married, usually you get kids. When you're Taiwanese, what you get is national health insurance. When you're American, what you get is protection under the Constitution and laws. Uh, Many countries are not like this. When you're the child of Warren Buffett, as Susan Alice is and Peter is and Howard Graham is, what do you get? You get one billion dollars. That's all you're getting from your dad, who actually, as of this morning, I checked to see what his net worth was, seventy three point four billion dollars. And he's only giving one billion, three billion total away to his kids. That's terrible. Um, I want to be a child of Warren Buffett. Um, When you're an Indonesian Muslim, what do you get? More than one wife. Um, When you're the child of the president of the United States, what do you get? To live in the White House. Ah, that would be awesome. When you're a Filipino, what do you get? And I'm going to share this because it comes from my last trip to the Philippines. When you're a Filipino, what do you get? Ten brothers and sisters. Every single person I I talked to in a a two-week trip told me they had ten or eleven brothers and sisters. If you're the child of Pastor Tim and Evie, what do you get? 
many trips to the Great Wall, many, many times on a plane, many frequent flyer miles. So what you see is, is if you are if you are the child of a certain person, you get certain things. If you are the citizen of a certain country, you get certain things. Now, let's bring this around to our passage. When you were a child of the living God, living not as a citizen of a country, but as a partaker of the heavenly kingdom, what do you get? Brothers and sisters, what you get is all of the blessings that go with the privileges of being children of God. And if you'll notice, the text doesn't say that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for theirs is the ability to live in the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that. There's a difference between living in the kingdom of God and then partaking the kingdom of God. Do you see what the Lord says? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I'll give you a great illustration. We're looking for a place to stay and we're looking to rent. We're not looking to buy. So we we pass a lot of places and I think, wow, that would be awesome to live in that place. We passed a few houses yesterday and I said, wow, look at the size of that house. I'd love to live in there. And then we passed another place and I said, I don't want to live there. I want to own it. Well, brothers and sisters, God didn't say that you get the privilege of living in the kingdom of heaven beginning now. He said that you are a partaker of it. Not because you had enough money to buy yourself influence into it, but because you received the blessing of God through his son, Jesus Christ, by his amazing grace. Right now, you have the privilege of being a partaker of the kingdom of heaven and of all the rights and privileges that go with being a child of the living God. Now, that is simply amazing. Notice something else I want you to see about these blessings. When do these blessings come? This is a time question now. And there is a there is a very distinct answer. You'll see it in my outline. So far, I'm now up to point two. I've already mentioned that all the blessings of God come to you by being a partaker in the kingdom and a child of the living God. But now in point two under my outline, when do God's blessings come to you? Look at all of the Beatitudes and see. There's two things about time we have to see. When do the blessings come to us? When do they come? What word tells us when they come? There's one word um, in English that will let us know and help us answer that question. You'll see it in verse 3. You'll see it um, verse 10. What do you think? When do the blessings come to us? Is. When we see is, that means it's now. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of heaven being a reality and a blessing that begins now. But not only now, the blessings of the Beatitudes also speak of of another time. What is that other time? 
Not just in the future. That's incorrect. It's close, but when you take some tests, like uh, if you take the GRE online uh, math thing like I did, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. I didn't know how to do the uh, math as my terrible uh, my terrible subject in school. So when I took the GRE, I simply guessed. I sat there and I pressed buttons. Um, so some answers are right, some answers are wrong. So being close isn't good enough. It's not the future. When is it? When is it? We've already mentioned now. It's not just the future. The future is close. It's 70% of the answer. What's the full answer? Forevermore. Thank you. That is the blessings of the Lord that come to us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a future element to that. How many of you have seen, how many of you have seen God? Uh, I met a person once who said they'd seen an alien. Okay, all right. I'm not sure if I believe you, but they said they'd seen an alien. I always wanted to see an alien. I grew up in Florida, across from Kennedy Space Center. Never saw one. But if you're a Christian, you don't want to see an alien. What you want to see is the living God. And that is not yet something that has happen, but it is something that Jesus says is a future reality. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they might, if they're good, or they might, if they remember to come to church every week, or they might, if they obey their parents, maybe, <clears throat> if they're lucky, they'll get to see what Isaiah saw, the edge of the garment of God. No, he doesn't say that. This is a promise, brothers and sisters. And unlike your parents, unlike your friends, unlike your employer, even when God Almighty gives you a promise, he doesn't break it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These blessings come to us and and it looks at first like some of them are for now and some of them are for forevermore. But actually, there's some that it's hard to tell. Let me read them to you. And you tell me, are we speaking of now or forevermore? And once again, everybody has to vote. Um, let's go back to verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Is that now? Will they receive comfort now or forevermore? If you say now, raise your hand. So does that mean that most of you think that if you mourn now, you're not going to receive the comfort of God? You see, I've tricked you with, with, with the question, because even though the tense of the word is shall pointing us to the future, this is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture, because it causes us to realize that some of these blessings, even though they're pointing us to the future, they are still true of ours today. When you mourn, you shall be comforted, but your comfort in this life is not a complete comfort. And here Jesus is speaking ultimately of the time where he tells us in Revelation to the Apostle John that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That glorious day in the future where it will be impossible for us to mourn. Why? Because death, the last enemy, will be taken from us. One of the interesting things about having Facebook is it connects you to hundreds of people simultaneously. And... You share their blessings, you share their their pets that die. Yesterday, my friend Sue Hagens, her little dog died and it was devastating. And you share in the in the sorrows of people who are close to you. And one of my best friends, his father, who was one of my first youth leaders, died 
uh, a few days ago. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, even though we're Christians and we receive comfort in this life, you still mourn. There's an aspect of your mourning that goes on and on and on when you lose a parent, when you lose a pet even, when you lose a friend. And God does comfort us. He comes alongside of us. He helps us get through the grief. He helps us be honest about it. He helps us bear it. But in this life, we still mourn. So ultimately, it is only when our Savior comes back that that mourning will be gone. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> is, the, is the blessing for now or forevermore? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Is that now? Anybody say now? Who said yes? Okay. Mm, let's try someone else. Uh, is it forevermore? When, is, when will you inherit the earth? When will the believers inherit the earth? Now or forevermore? If you think it's forevermore, raise your hand. <clears throat> exactly. So, in this particular one, in this particular beatitude, Jesus is pointing us to something that should be our comfort. The people he's speaking this to didn't have houses like we have today. They had great needs. And this word from him must have blown their minds. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Will they be satisfied now or later? If you think they'll be satisfied now <clears throat> as they hunger and thirst for righteousness, raise your hand. Anybody say now? Yes. It's both now and raise your hand for forevermore and forevermore. So, brothers and sisters, have you begun to see the Sermon on the Mount this morning a little bit differently than you did before? We read these verses quick because we know them and we think that we understand what they mean. No, we are just beginning to unlock the keys to the treasures of the kingdom of heaven and to realize all that we have in Christ and to think through, okay, what is now and what is later? Now, this whole idea of being a Christian and receiving some of the blessings now and some of the blessings later, the, the people who teach in seminaries, and the people who write books that no one understands, not even the seminarians, they have this little word to describe this concept that I'm talking about. They talk about the already and the not yet. So the already is throughout the Beatitudes. The not yet is also Throughout the Beatitudes. So theologians write and they talk about the Apostle Paul and talk about his theology can be summarized as being the theology of the already. The blessings we have already by being in Christ and the blessings that will come later when Jesus Christ comes back. So this already not yet tension is where you are living your Christian life right now. Already means there's something that you that is yours, regardless of how much you're experiencing it. The not yet is you can experience it more even now and ultimately in the future, in the age to come. So let me ask you some questions. Um, are you satisfied? Look at verse six. How many of you came here satisfied today? Satisfied with everything in your life? You're satisfied with your grades? You're satisfied with your parents. You're satisfied with your spouse. You're satisfied with your kids. <clears throat> You're satisfied with 
how much money you make. Is this passage telling us that we all just need to chill out and be passive and just let go and let God and let whatever happen and stop working hard in school? No, it's not saying that. He's talking about a hungering and thirst for a particular thing in our lives. And that particular thing is not something money can buy, not something that status can honor. That particular thing is the righteousness that comes from the living God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you a person like that today? If you're a person like that today, here's how you look at your life. Here's how you look at life. You say, Lord, I want to be like you. I see how beautiful you are. I see how loving you are. I see how much you care for others. I see how forgiving you are. And I want to be like that. If that's you today, then you're hungering and you're thirsting after righteousness. And Jesus Christ is going to satisfy you. He's going to tell you right now that having that mindset is much more satisfying than having a worldly mindset that so many people have today where they're never satisfied. And you want to know one of the distinguishing marks of someone who's not satisfied? They're always criticizing others. If you're satisfied, you're not criticizing others. If you're not satisfied, you're constantly criticizing others because they're not good enough. They don't measure up. They don't have the right political views or whatever. So what we see in these verses is, is that throughout the Beatitudes, God's blessings come to you both now and forevermore. Now, I'd like you to see one other thing. Look at number three under my outline. As we go through this entire sermon, we see that God's blessings meet your deepest needs And your ultimate desires. A lot that's in this passage are things that you may not think you need right now. And and actually, a lot of our life is set upon looking after other things. So when we see what these blessings are that we've received, we realize that Jesus Christ is addressing what is ultimately our deepest needs and our ultimate desires. What are they? Our deepest need. Look at verse 3. The kingdom of heaven. To be a partaker of it now. Verse four, our deepest need to receive comfort, eternal comfort from God. Verse five, what is our deepest need to inherit the earth so that when we leave this place and when Christ Jesus comes back, there is not only a place to go, but a kingdom to inhabit. And we shall reign and rule with our God and our savior. Verse six, What need is God talking about in verse six? Being satisfied. Verse seven. What's our ultimate need? Receiving mercy. So let me ask you about number seven. Is that something that comes to you now? Or is that something that comes to you in the future or both? It's another one of those boaths, isn't it? So what we have here is, is that God is basically saying that in spite of what you think you need, I know that whenever the latest iPhone comes out or the latest Samsung gadget uh, comes out, we all think we need it. I couldn't wait until the Samsung S8 Plus came out. I said to my wife, I need it. She's like, why do you need it? You have um, an S7 Edge. I had the the Note 7 Edge, but you know what happened to that. So I'm not even going to talk about it. So in spite of the fact that I had the S7 Edge, I needed this. Why did I need this? Well, in my human physical realm of existence, 
my eyes are bad, the screen's a little bit bigger, and I can blow up the the to be in dollars. Sorry, I'm not supposed to use Chinese. Um, I can make the, the little words a little bit bigger. So I convinced her that I needed it. I got it. Thank you. Thank you, dear, for letting me um, buy it. And <clears throat> many of you are like that. You need this car. You need this new violin. You need this. And we're all the time justifying uh, our needs. And I'm not saying in our physical lives you don't need a car. You do to get around greater Boston. I'm not saying you don't need a house. You do need a place. You need a roof over your head, especially when it gets really cold here, like it was in January and February that I'm not looking forward to. Um, But though we have physical needs, the sermon launches us into these ultimate needs, into these deepest desires. And right now, Jesus brings before our mind and our heart's eye that one of our deepest needs and one of our ultimate desires is the need for mercy. Mercy is undeserved kindness. You didn't deserve it, but somebody gave it to you anyway. Uh, I'll tell you a story, but please do not repeat it out of this auditorium. Can, can we have a few secrets amongst friends? Um, I went to the Eastman School of Music. I, ta- I took a class in music history with Dr. Mann. Dr. Mann was the great Bach scholar, and it was a great privilege to be in his in his class, but I got sick. I got really sick during that semester. I had to take uh, a leave of absence and then um, I had to make up all the work. Well, uh, I didn't make up all the work. I only made up part of the work and it was time for the grading deadline for the people who took the, the extensions on the course. And before I had the chance to get him my last paper, and it wasn't very good anyway, Dr. Mon registered a B grade for me in music history. And brothers and sisters, I did not deserve that. That was mercy. Um, that's the only reason why I got the master's degree from the Eastman School of Music. Uh, I didn't deserve it. Um, so I feel sort of embarrassed every time I look, seriously, every time I look up my diploma, something in my conscience says, your music history score. And, and, and I feel embarrassed, okay? <clears throat> because I didn't deserve it, but yet somebody gave it. Um, to me. Uh, recently, Martin and I were, um, we were in, where were we? No, it wasn't Martin. It was my other traveling partner, uh, my assistant from Indonesia. We were in Hong Kong and we go to this killer gelato place um, right on the waterfront in, um, in Kowloon. So we're having this great we're having this great experience of tasting all the gelatos. And then I finally picked the one that I want and I got two scoops and I go to pay and I pull out my money and my money was red, but it wasn't Hong Kong money. I pulled out the wrong money. I thought I had grabbed my Hong Kong money. I had my mainland Chinese money. The guy wouldn't take it. And I had already begun to eat my ice cream and my assistant had already begun to eat his his gelato. And this man standing behind me, an Australian tourist named Mark. Thank you, God, for Mark. I will never um, forget Mark. And he's like, I'll pay. And, and he opens up his wallet and he pulls out um, more than 100 Hong Kong dollars. It was really expensive. It wasn't really worth it, but it was expensive. And he paid a debt I couldn't pay at a time of my greatest need. <laughs> now... Brothers and sisters, there was another person, and his name is not Mark. And he wasn't an Australian. He was a Jew, and his name is Jesus. And he paid a debt none of us can pay at a time of our greatest need. 
And if there's anything we need to learn from all these wonderful pictures, blessings, beatitudes, launching points of understanding God's grace, it's the fact that that Jesus Christ today is the one who gave us mercy. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But he gave it to us. And he gives it to all who call upon him in our need. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being such a great Savior who loved us enough to pay a debt we couldn't pay at the time of our greatest need. And so we ask our dear Savior that you would make us more appreciative of all the blessings that you have spelled out in detail in these verses. Help us not to read this passage quickly. Help us to enjoy it for long periods of time, to meditate on it throughout our week, and to let it become part of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.